Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Alrighty, so um, why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about my good friend, Governor Ray Cooper. I mean, my good friend Ray, every, that's what he's known, at least to like Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, his good friends call them Ray. I always thought it was Roy, but uh, Roy Cooper, Ray Cooper, our governor, he went on to the Twitter machine. I don't know if this was actually him or not. It doesn't have the little, like sometimes for these types of accounts where staff, you know, pushes out a lot of content um, like me, like, you know, I write very few of my own tweets. And so, no, <laughs> no. it's all me. So the people like the governor, though, will if he's writing it himself, he may put RC. Right. And I've seen I seem to recall seeing that. I don't see one of those little brands on the following tweet. So this very well may have come from one of his staffers. But um, this is what prompted a big dust up over the weekend. And I kind of as I am you know, prone to do, I walk up to various you know, progressives. Uh, on the uh, the beach that is Twitter, and I will kick some sand in their general direction. And uh, that usually disrupts uh, a lot of the moon bats that have nested under the surface of the sand, and then they start swarming around. And Anyway, that's what happened this weekend, uh, to some degree, on the um, school choice question. Because late last week, Trisha Cotham, the newly minted Republican... Trisha Cotham of Mecklenburg County was uh, sponsored a bill, is the primary sponsor of a House version of a bill that would dramatically expand school choice across North Carolina. This is a topic that she referenced, a position she referenced as well, when she announced that she was leaving the Democrat Party and becoming a Republican like two, three weeks ago. And one of the issues she specifically cited was school choice. She said that her former party has to sort of get with the times. They, they have to re-examine this. And uh, this actually won her uh, some, uh, some accolades and some support from a guy named uh, Marcus Brandon, who is uh, also a former lawmaker in the House. He was a Democrat lawmaker and ran a foul of his party on this very same topic as well. And I've interviewed Marcus a couple of times. I kind of feel bad today also, because he didn't get one of my jokes on the, he thought I was serious. Like, okay. So you know what today is today is like the 10 year anniversary of the Momo. Did you know that the Mo, not the Pomo, the postmodern is not, not that the Momo is the yeah moral Mondays or the Momo Mo, if you prefer the Moral Mondays movement. It's the 10-year anniversary. It was a decade ago that 17 people walked into the North Carolina General Assembly and proceeded to disrupt the proceedings in order to show us what democracy looks like. And from there, it grew into a weekly 
press event, I'm sorry, uh, demonstration. Um, and the Democratic Party at the time, having been routed by the Republicans in the legislative races under maps the Democrats had drawn themselves, Republicans beat them at their own maps, took over the General Assembly, won a supermajority, um, won the governor's race with Pat McCrory, controlled it, and the Democrats had been shellacked so thoroughly and had been embarrassed so badly because of all of the uh, scandals, right? You had Jim Black that went to prison, Meg Scott Phipps that went to prison. Was it Frank Balance, I believe, was the other guy? Um, yeah, yeah. There was a there. Mike Easley got disbarred. I mean, there was the former governor. There, there was a bunch of stuff. You had multiple executive directors of the uh, Democratic Party of the state uh, that were uh, that were booted f- due to what sexual unwanted sexual advances and such. Just a lot of scandals. And along comes Reverend William Barber. And William Barber proceeds to uh, convert his uh, HK on J, which is that the, the hundreds of thousands on Jones Street. That's what it was originally. They, they would come, it's like the like black churches would come down and they would do this rally. And I want to say it was in February or something. They would every year go down to the Capitol and they would do some rally. Didn't really get a lot of attention, but he essentially pivoted and he recognized that the Democrat Party of this state was just a husk. There, there was no leadership, right? There wasn't they were about to be uh, kicked out of their office space. Uh, the, the, the state party was uh, Kay Hagan running for reelection uh, could not get the support she needed at a state level that she actually used the Wake County Democrat Party infrastructure in order to try to win her reelection against Tom Tillis. And she lost. Um so the party was in such bad shape that along comes William Barber and he harnesses this this progressive left uh, left wing angst at the direction the state is moving. I mean, remember, Democrats had controlled the state for a century and a half almost, and they did not they did not do well. OK, they did not do well when they were uh, on the outs. OK, when they lost power, they do not handle it well to begin with, let alone after that long of a run. Right. They, they, they were so dominant, and they don't know how to be a minority party in a legislative setting. And so, you know, much like a party that's in the minority for so long, they don't know how to behave as a majority party. The inverse is true as well. And Democrats, I mean, they do know performance, right? They do know theater, and, so they, and they're all about that, and that's what really all they had. And so he harnesses that and uh, this anger at Republicans— and he starts this Moral Monday thing that, oh, the Republicans aren't moral. I'm moral. Look at me. I'm moral. I'm for big government. That's the moral thing to do. Price tag on his wish list of policy ideas at the state level was like four times the size of the annual state budget. But that's OK. There's some rich people we can tax someplace, I'm sure. Um, so he then starts the movement up. And remember, their hallmark was to disrupt every single meeting, every single like Monday, obviously, uh, they would disrupt the meetings and they would get themselves arrested. And then, of course, they would get turned loose with no ramifications, which I don't really think counts as protesting. That's just a bus ride. Seriously. Like, really, that's all. I mean, you're just taking a tour, right? You're going in, you're acting like children, screaming and shouting and using your bullhorns like the Tennessee three did. 
Well, I mean, it scored them a White House uh, visit. So, And look, Reverend Barber has parlayed the Moral Monday stuff to great personal success. He's now leading the, the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, he's doing pretty well for himself, being the, uh, yeah, being the leader of the poor people, so or their campaign, at least. I don't know. I, I don't think they've got any candidates running for office yet. But uh, they're going to they're gonna show up at the uh, legislature again today. They're getting the band back together. Yeah. So there's that. And uh, I kind of, <laughs> I was having some fun with them. And I said, oh, and, and this, because they, you know, and they're like, hey, we're, we're going to be uh, doing the Moral Monday thing. Why don't you show on up? We launched a movement 10 years ago today and all that. And I said, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how the Democrats retook control of the legislature, lo, that decade ago. And of course, it's not true. They did not take control of the, de- <laughs> of the legislature. No, because what happened was, they they used the anger among the teachers who had under the Democrats, they had had their pay frozen. Some of them had been furloughed, right, let go. Um, and then they never got their pay raises from that, that were that were stalled. And so they were lagging behind Republicans take over. And so now the Democrats, and they've always used the teachers, right, for the, I mean, yes, for the campaign donations, obviously, from the unions, but they, they always use them for their campaign fodder and for, for the ground troops and stuff. And so they use teachers to, to uh, pack their ranks at these events. And then when the Republicans finally started instituting their teacher pay raise reform schedules, right, where they implemented 15 straight step pay raises annually, every year, guaranteed, $1,000 a year increase. Set aside, that's not included, is any kind of percentage increases that the legislature gives them year to year. But just guaranteed 15 straight pay raises from when you start to your 15th year in service. $1,000. So you'll be at over 50 k That was the idea. You start at 35 and you're at 50 k by 15 years. And as they start doing these, these pay plans the the anger among the teachers <laughs> dissipates i'm not saying that some teachers aren't still angry trust me i know there are a lot of angry teachers i talk with them on twitter on a regular basis well i don't really talk with them they just yell at various people me included anyway they uh they a lot of the teachers sort of just went back to the classroom because they had gotten pay raises they had been boosted you know back up and that sort of thing and so they they weren't as animated and then the the whole thing kind of fizzled out. Kind of fizzled out. That's the tough thing about those movements, you know. You got to keep the you got to keep people animated and activated and motivated. And it's difficult. And then and then of course Reverend Barber went and got the job with the uh, Poor People's Campaign, and so now he's doing Moral Monday work all over America. But he's coming back today. All right. So all of this is to say that on the the, the school connection here, right. This is an issue that Democrats believe motivates people to vote for them. Unfortunately, they either can't read the polling or refuse to read the polling that the public has passed them by on on this school choice issue. And here's a perfect example of it. My good friend Ray Cooper's tweet. 
All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustan Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at carolinareadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? All right, so Roy Cooper's tweet. There is it. Here it is. Roy Cooper's tweet. Instead of strong investments in public schools... Here comes a Republican bill giving out billions of N.C. taxpayer dollars in vouchers that can be used by billionaires to send their kids to private schools. Worse than awful. And so I helpfully pointed out, because you know me, I am a giver. I pointed out that he sent his kid to private school. (laughs) So. Right. So is he a billionaire? Or he just objects to billionaires sending their kids to private school or or that the vouchers could be used by the billionaires who, by the way, are paying. Are they not? They are paying the taxes. And then they're not sending their kids to that school. See, that to me is the rub. This is what this is really about. Because, like, rich people, they they can send their kids to whatever school they want. It doesn't matter to them, right? There is no barrier unless maybe like the kid's a problem child or something and they can't get admitted. But if you got the money, you can send your kid to any private school you want. So what it's about then is that what you've got some millionaires, billionaires or really wealthy people that aren't even millionaires, I guess, but people who are paying into the K-12 system, but not sending their kid there. And the, the, what the the system defenders, the status quo defenders, the GovCo employees and their allies in media and the Democratic Party, but I repeat myself, like they they don't want to lose the money and they don't want the kid coming back either. So they just want the free money. They want the extra money. And if now the money attaches to the child, there's a, a certain population that is already attending private school. There's like a 100... 115,000, I think, in North Carolina. And if a chunk of them, and I've seen some, let me see here. I saw, oh, this was from the uh, the public radio, uh, North Carolina public radio station in Raleigh. Yeah, they say uh, one in six, one out of six receives the opportunity scholarship. Okay, so five-sixths don't. And so now those five-sixths are going to be getting voucher money. And that's what they're upset about. Because they weren't getting voucher money before, right? They were paying their own way. And now there's like this cohort of roughly 100,000 whatever families, 100,000 kids, that now they're going to be getting, what, $5,000, $3,000? Because if they're rich... It's they've got like a tiered system. It's like a progressive tax system, but for the school vouchers. And so the richer you are, the less you get. And they're not. And, and so these lefties are mad 
that the people who are going to be getting, what, uh, 45% of $7,400. So what does that work out to be? Roughly, what, 3500 bucks. So they're mad that these really rich people, I guess, that are sending their kids to private school, not with any voucher right now, because they're rich. They don't qualify for the Opportunity Scholarship, but now they will get some of their money back. They'll get 45%, and that's too much for these people. <laughs> that's too- How dare you? Get to keep some of your own money to educate your own kid because you're wealthy. You need to just give us that money so we cannot educate these other kids over here. (laughs) That's the deal. It's an amazing argument, and it is explicitly made here in this WUNC article. And the governor's comments that... uh, billionaires will be able to use this voucher money to send their kids to private school. And he calls that quote, worse than awful. And I pointed out, he said his kid, his own kid to private school. And I got attacked because they said he paid for it himself. He didn't ask for voucher money. And I pointed out he's paid with tax dollars. He is a tax consumer. The money he used to pay for that tuition. Yeah, that came from taxpayers. Sorry guys. Yeah. CarolinaJournal.com, piece by David Bass the other day. Uh, Newly minted Republican Trisha Cotham of Mecklenburg County is the primary sponsor of the House version of a bill that would dramatically expand school choice across North Carolina. The move is significant because it signals that Cotham would be a crucial 72nd vote in the House chamber to override a veto from Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. House Speaker Tim Moore is also a primary sponsor on the measure, which gives it additional weight. Right, generally speaking, when the the Speaker of the House co-sponsors a bill, it tends to go places. (laughs) It tends to win approval. House Bill 823. It's called Choose Your School, Choose Your Future. It would expand the Opportunity Scholarship Program to all students in a tiered system based on household income. By the way, again, this is not my preference I'm not a, I don't like this idea of a tiered system. It seems like it's kind of arguing on the terms of the left. It's kind of it seems like it's more of a response to a narrative or a political argument when in fact you just just say here's the cost to educate a kid in the state, that's the voucher. Everybody can get it. Under the current system, opportunity scholarships are only available to low and moderate income families. The scholarships empower families to afford tuition at the private school of their choice. And again, I need to point out as well that uh, this is not my preferred plan. I would prefer you blow up the K-12 model. But I also recognize that that's not where most North Carolinians or Americans are. And so the vouchers helps to loosen the grip. Now, there's also a fight that's been going on. And I don't know if you follow James Lindsay. Uh, He writes at a uh, his newsletter is called New Discourses. Um, he does a lot of work, you know, anti-CRT, anti-wokeism, anti-Hegelian, postmodernism, and does uh, a lot of conferences and stuff, uh, a lot of a lot of podcasts and the like. He was one of the guys that wrote the uh, wrote the uh, oh gosh, I forget what the name of it. They they did a book together with uh, Peter Bogosian and Helen Pluckrose, and they submitted peer review uh, to journals, peer review journals, like all of these crazy. Uh, Uh, research papers uh, that just, you know, swapped out language and made these ridiculous claims. Uh, 
But as long as they fit the right political calculus, they got accepted and published. And they did it to undermine the credibility of that entire field, the social sciences, these, these soft sciences. So he has been arguing with guys like Corey DeAngelis and Christopher Rufo, um, who are pro-vouchers, pro-school choice. He's been arguing against them that this is not what has to be done. He's like, it just all has to be, I guess, homeschools or something. So he, he, he keeps attacking conservatives who are for vouchers. He's saying all you're doing is just shifting money. It's still, it's, it's still government funding and government uh, systems. So uh, that, in case you were wondering like what that fight has been about, that's where that uh, comes from. So, um, and, and I'm an all-of-the-above kind of guy. I'm not going to pick sides on that. I don't have to pick sides on it. I, I support vouchers. If you can implement vouchers, you can, you can get some kids out of these schools. You can give parents choice. Does that mean that every single parent is going to be able to get their kid into the school they want? No. Does it mean every single parent's now all of a sudden going to start caring about their own kid's education? No, it does not. Unfortunately, there are bad parents. There are bad parents. Just like there are good parents, there are bad ones. Good teachers, bad teachers, right? Good schools, bad schools, right? All of these things. Utopia is not one of the options that is available to us to choose from. So we have to just try to do the best we can for as many people as we can and provide the opportunities, hence the name, the Opportunity Scholarship. But if you won't take the opportunity and you won't do anything to advance yourself, and this is the argument, by the way, that Mark Robinson is going to be making in this gubernatorial run. He announced his campaign, did the video, did the speech yesterday. Uh, I've got the video. We'll take a listen to it in the next hour. But he's going to make this a central focus of his campaign, this school choice argument and this, this opportunity argument. That you can be whatever you want to be, but you got to work hard, play by the rules, and you can succeed. That used to be the American dream. And for some reason, people don't believe it anymore. But it's still true. It is still true. So how this uh, Opportunity Scholarship reform would work, if you are in the lower income households, you would get 100% of the scholarship, and that's like $7,400 a year. You can take that money and go wherever you, you, know, wherever you want to send your kid, $7,400. And then you've got different tiers. And so as you make more money, so the first tier is at $55,000 annual income. You'll get, if you're a family of four, making $55,500 or less, you get the 100% of, this, of the voucher. And then the next level um, is like 111,000. You get 90%, um, 249,750. So just under a quarter of a million, you would get 60% uh, of the voucher. And then if you make more than a quarter of a million, you're at 45%. Okay? So those are the tiers. And the idea is that you get a little bit of tuition assistance. And this is the rub, apparently, for people on the left. As told to WUNC. Senate Bill 406 would remove income restrictions so any student who attends a private school can receive state money to pay for it. Now, they don't go through the tiered approach, as I understand it. I'm looking through this article. I don't see it. So I wonder if they're aware that there are these tiers. Um, But, see, this is why you should never argue using the language of the left and try to respond in terms that's based off of their own political 
arguments as as sort of the baseline assumptions. That's why you shouldn't work off of that language because you're not even getting credit for it, right? So they say that uh, even if they have always attended a private school and they would have with or without a voucher, see, this is their this is their issue, that they don't like this. They don't like the idea that the people who are sending their kids to school right now, to private school right now, not getting any kind of tuition assistance from the state, but are paying taxes in, because by the way, those are the people that pay the taxes. You realize that, right? The wealthier people, they're the ones paying the taxes that fund the schools. They're paying more taxes. So they're, they're, they're sending all this money into the public school system. They're not sending their kid. They're now taking their own money and sending their kids to private school and what these people are mad at is that they're going to get a little bit of their own tax money back. Our our free money is going away. That's their argument. They got a, a quote in here from Josh Cowan, education policy researcher from Michigan State University. He's been studying school voucher programs for 20 years, and he's now openly against them. Don't know if don't know when that happened. You know, whatever, doesn't matter, but The way they write that, it makes it sound like this is a new position for him. But here's what he says. The longer-term financial impacts of this are devastating for public school budgets. Absolutely. But in the short term, the real issue is that you're getting the state standing up new budgetary obligations to prop up private school tuition where otherwise it's been borne by the private sector. So now now they're trying to frame this as, the state tax dollars are propping up private schools. Do you hear this argument for food stamps? Because that's what food stamps are. They're vouchers. Are we propping up private grocery stores? Are we propping up private doctor's offices, medical facilities with Medicare? Is that what we're doing too? And Medicaid, we're propping those up too? Why is it only schools that gets spoken of like this? Why? He says the programs can be cash giveaways for the wealthy. I love that. Cash giveaways for the wealthy, who, by the way, paid in more than they took out. They are tax producers. The wealthy pay more of the taxes than everyone else does. They're they're cash giveaways. So is it a giveaway to somebody to let them keep some of their own money? That's a giveaway in the leftist world. In their mind. You know, it really is remarkable when you listen to the words they use when they talk about economic policies and such and budgeting. It really is a window into the mindset. They really do believe that it is their money. It's all their money and they get to choose where it goes. All right. Now, you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Back to this WUNC story, WUNC.org. Josh Cowan, education policy researcher from Michigan State University. 
says that programs like the Opportunity Scholarship Program in uh, North Carolina, these voucher uh, programs, calls them cash giveaways for the wealthy. But he's even more concerned that they convince parents of at-risk kids to send their child to a school that's going to be less rigorous than a public school. Quote, I mean, just all right. Think about what that sentence says. All right, that it convinces parents of at-risk kids to send their kid to a school that's not going to be as rigorous as a public school. Okay, and here's this quote: "You get these what I call subprime providers. These private schools that they're not the elite institutions that we kind of think of. You know, Dead Poets Society or some of these movies with you know tweed jackets." That's not a typical private school taking a voucher. Uh, wait a minute. So you thought that the vouchers were going to make every private school into a dead poet society type of like elite private school? Well, that's uh, that's your bias. That's just your idea. Also, we ha- what's he saying? We have to protect parents from themselves. And he's also layering in this idea that the public schools are rigorous. They're not all rigorous. Oh, Cheryl called back. Hello, Cheryl. You're like one of my favorite callers. I know. Let me tell you something. Um, what do you mean by that comment? Rich people pay all the taxes. You know middle class people pay all the taxes. Come on now. Rich people pay the vast the majority taxes. of the taxes. Absolutely. Trump paid seven fifty. The rich people pay the vast majority of taxes. They don't have shelters. They don't pay that much. The the, the middle class pay the the bulk of the taxes are paid by the middle class. No, that's not true. Okay, look it up. I do, I do, and it's and not again, true. I have another. No, well, no, no. So, all right. So, first off, Cheryl, which tax which tax would you like to uh, discuss? Because there are several different kinds of taxes, right? Like you got I property taxes. That. Property you got, taxes. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. So, property. so let's be clear then. So, what taxes? Because when I say that the rich pay the majority of the taxes, that is a true statement, and it's driven largely by income tax. But it's also there. It's also sales taxes, and it is also um, property taxes. So you're going to discount everything the middle class pays? I don't discount what the middle class pays. No, I'm middle class. Why would I discount what the middle class pays? And another thing, I'm wondering why people have a problem paying for the school, you know, the school, I'm mean, sorry, the loans that President Biden wants to uh, give people like 10000 or whatever off. Why do people have a problem with that? I don't get to decide what I want to pay for and what I don't want to pay for. I don't want to pay for the capital being torn apart but I don't have a choice. I have to pay for that. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? I don't want to pay for all Trump's golf outings, but as a taxpayer, I don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. What makes them think they have a choice with the loan deferment, the loan, uh, you know, stipends that Biden's going to give people to have well, to we pay do. Well, but we, we, we kind of do have a choice in that we get to vote for uh people and parties that will advance certain spending priorities, right? So if you didn't want uh, Donald Trump's golf outings to be uh, charged to us, then uh, you vote against Donald Trump, right? So now no more golf outings. Now we just pay for the ice cream cone runs uh, and the the bicycle trips uh, for Biden, (laughs) right? What if if the person wins even though you voted against them? What if they win? Then you still don't have a choice, correct? Correct, yes. 
Okay. But you do have a say, like you were saying that you don't have a say, and I was just saying you do, that in, in, you know, in our system, you vote for the people and the policies, that's where you have your say. Now, if you're talking about, like, you get to check boxes on your income tax to say, I want to fund that, or I want to fund this other thing, like, that's a, like, I'm open to that idea. I would very much love to be able to sit down and say, I want my money to go more towards, like, this spending area, right? Like, I want to, I, I want to, you can take my tax dollars uh, and spend it over here because I'm a taxpayer. I don't get I don't get refunds. Okay, I don't I don't get refunds from the government. Um, we pay more in taxes, so then and then then we derive right. And so a lot- as a Republican, if there's a Republican office, you don't get to decide. If there's a Democrat in office, uh, you still don't get to decide. Right. So I'm just saying, though, even though we complain, it doesn't really do any good because sure it does. The, the president in office is going to do whatever he wants to do. Well, that's not, no, that's not true. I think, I mean, are you saying then that there's no point in seeking redress of your government? I mean, that's, I mean, that's First Amendment stuff. Like, that's why we, that's why we have these discussions. Where can I go and complain that I don't want to pay for the damage that was done to the Capitol? You could probably write a letter or an email or make a phone call to members of Congress. Okay. Well, that's who controls, that's who controls the purse strings. They are the ones that, Uh yeah, they're the ones that fund that stuff. I mean, I think Uh the work has already been done. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's where but you, I do, but I do pay a lot of taxes just so you know, that's for, uh, a lot of Americans pay a lot of taxes. Yeah. I am for lower taxes on everybody. I don't want yep. you paying a lot of taxes. I believe you should be able to spend your money the way you want to be able to spend it. And the government that taxes the, the least amount from its citizens, uh, provide the maximum amount of freedom to both you and me. I'm, that's I'm a limited government kind of guy, and that's the, so. Yes, I want you to keep your own tax money. See, I, we agree. I appreciate the call, Cheryl. Thank you for calling back. See that? Solving the world's problems. It's what we do. 